So we're going to be taking this journey through the book of John, and I, I, this is, um, honestly, I was going to wrap up the next week's series this week, and I started looking in the book of John, and there was, I was going to preach from uh, a passage, and then I, I just, God just started going, hey, you know what, I, I would, it was one of these leading things where it's like, hey, let's just back up and go through all of this, and, and it'll all make sense more here in just a second. Here's what we're going to be talking through. In, in the book of John, John gives us this glimpse into the miracles of Jesus. How many, there's seven miracles specifically that John is going to uh, reference that we're going to study over the next seven weeks. And then the seven weeks following that, we're going to be in the seven I am. So there's seven miracles and then there's seven I am statements of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look through this whole thing. We're going to look at this idea. And we're going to put this on the screen for you. Who Jesus is and what Jesus does changes who we are and what we do. Who Jesus is and what Jesus does changes who we are and what we do. So I, I, I want to encourage you, come be a part of all 14 of these weeks. We'll wrap up at the end of October, um, which will be Florida Georgia weekend. Somebody? Anybody? Yeah, yeah amen. <laughs> or I'm sorry, I said that wrong apparently in Georgia. It's Georgia Florida weekend. Yeah. All right. So, um, but I, I, listen, this is, I, I pray this is going to be extremely helpful for us as a church. What did Jesus do? That's going to be the first seven weeks, these seven miracles. And how do they pertain to us and how we're supposed to live? And then the seven I am statements of who Jesus claimed to be, those make a significant difference in who we are. So today, we're going to begin uh, with the first of Jesus' miracles recorded in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, and so let, let's uh, cover some things that I think every one of us may be asking sort of internally right now. What are miracles... And do miracles still happen today? How many of you feel like you could use a miracle right about now? Anybody in the house could use a miracle. I could use one. I just found out, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, but if you guys would please be in prayer for my mom. Uh, they found out this week that my mom has two masses on her liver. She has um, one on her spine, and she has one in her lungs. And so it was not the diagnosis that we were hoping to find. Um, but I would, I would love uh, a miracle. And so what are miracles um, and again, we'll be referencing a miracle of healing next week. So if you're interested in the healing thing, uh, y'all come up. I'll, I'm going to have a little flask. I'm going to be slaying people in the spirit. Y'all going to all fall out. Y'all laugh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what are the purpose of miracles? Because we see these, right? There's tension, isn't there? Like when we read scripture and we see miracles happen, how many, of us, how many of us today are wondering where all the miracles are? Where are the dead people being raised to life? Where are the, where are the lame, you know, being able to walk? Where, where, where are the physical miracles that we saw in Jesus' day? Well, let me just answer our questions. You know, what, what are miracles? What was the purpose of miracles in Jesus' day in the New Testament? Um, what is... Um, and, and where are they today? First of all, let me just say this. Miracles in the New Testament. Here's what they did. As we read, as we're going to look at today, the first of the miracles, they authenticated the, they authenticated the character of Jesus and his relationship to the Father, okay? 
So first of all, they, they, authenticated, uh, the, the, they authenticated the character of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. Let me show you where we see that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 5, listen to what it says. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So the purpose of miracles, according to John, this is Jesus speaking in John's gospel, the purpose of the miracles was to authenticate the character of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. Very, very important for us to understand as we read through the miracles. Secondly, they authenticated the message about Jesus. At the end of the gospel of Mark, the very last passage that we see recorded in the book of Mark, listen to what it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 20. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So this is, I mean, Mark's telling us that this was, the message was authenticated through the accompanying signs. So miracles in scripture are acts of God. This is what they are. They're acts of God that proclaim his sovereign power over creation as well as his commitment to his people. That's what miracles are as we read them in Scripture. Listen to what Tim Keller, Tim Keller is a pastor. Here is what he wrote about miracles. He said this, he said um, that miracles lead not simply to cognitive belief. We see this in Scripture. It wasn't just, oh, wow, well, since you did that, now intellectually I understand who you are. Here's what he says. He says that they don't lead simply to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe, and wonder. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you really genuinely worshipped Jesus for who he is? That it wasn't an act that you showed up to a building and a team-led music, but you genuinely worshipped with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I know, there's a, I know that, that we can all get into pockets of, and places in life where we kind of miss the purpose of worship. And there's often times, and I'm, I'll be the first to tell you, there are often times that when I hear, like there are certain songs that move me more than others. But let me tell you something. A song should never move us more than the reality of who God is. Our worship should not be based on what the sound coming off the stage is, but on who he is. And are the lyrics that we sing, are they biblical, God-honoring, and glorifying? See, sometimes I think we worship Jesus. Jesus, I will worship you as long as they play my favorite song. That is not the commands of Scripture. And we just, listen... We have got to get back to worshiping Jesus for who he is. Amen. Amen. We got to get back to that. We got to get past all this stuff and say, Jesus, you're good. I don't care if we have to strip all the music back and just go, look, we, we ain't going to sing a song. We're going to pray for 30 minutes. We got to get back to worshiping Jesus for who he is. Tim Keller would go on to say, Miracles lead not simply to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe and wonder. Maybe it's because we've lost the awe and wonder of who Jesus is. Jesus' miracles, to continue to quote Keller, Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed only to impress and coerce. Instead, he used miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry, raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of natural order. When people get sick, why did Jesus heal them? Because we were never intended and created to be sick. Sin caused that. 
Why is it that when people are lame, same, same thing. Jesus did not create us that way in the very beginning. All man was created to be healthy and we were supposed to be in direct communion with God. And so two things happen. Healing comes to restore creation back to the order in which it was intended. And as a byproduct, also when we see this, it points us to Jesus. And when we're pointed to Jesus, our relationship with God is restored just as it was in the very beginning. It's the purpose of miracles. Before we go any further, again, I, I, want, I do want to answer this question, and I know we're all asking, and we've, or if we're not asking it today, we've asked it in the past, because again, this is an issue for me, particularly, and where I'm at in life, Jesus, like, where, where are the miracles? Does physical healing still happen today? Well, first of all, we must realize that the sheer volume and close proximity of miracles in the Bible like when we look in the Bible, we see all these miracles and we see the, the proximity to the life and the ministry of Jesus and we need to look and understand that. The, the, those miracles in the Bible serve significant purposes, specifically, specifically in God's redemptive plan at the time. However, this doesn't mean that miracles ceased today. Let me, let me read you um, his book, Systematic Theology, by, written by Wayne Grudem. Let me, let me share with you what Wayne Grudem says about miracles in that book. He says, there is nothing inappropriate in seeking miracles for the proper purposes for which they are given by God. To confirm the truthfulness of the gospel message, to bring help to those in need, to remove hindrances to people's ministries, and to bring glory to God. Miracles do still happen. And Christians should, we as Christians should avoid the extreme of the two. And here's the extreme of the two. Two being miracles were only for the confirmation purposes in the New Testament and miracles ceased. Or going to the other extreme of going, you know what, um, miracles, miracles happen everywhere. And if you just, if you just, um, if you believe it and you ask for it, God will give you the miracle that you're looking for. I, th I think miracles happen all the time around us. We need to, here's the thing, we need to expand our understanding of what miracles are to include both his providential sustaining power in his creation today as we understand it and his miraculous works of the redemption of the church. One of the greatest miracles, listen, dead people are brought to life every single day. And they are brought from death to life through their proclamation of faith in Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. So when, when Jesus is shown for who he is, when he's seen for what he's done, when we see what he did on the cross, in that moment we go, okay, God, I believe what Jesus did is sufficient to pay for all of my sins. And in that moment that I proclaimed my faith, there was a day in July of 1998 that Billy Stevens proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. And from and that day I came I went from death to life and the same thing happened for you you went from death to life you were dead in your trespasses and sin you have been made alive with Christ it is a miracle that a sinful man like me could be reunited and restored into a right relationship with a holy God that is an absolute miracle from heaven Jesus is still raising people from death to life. Listen to what John Holcomb, he was a, he's a theology professor um, at Reformed Theological Seminary. He also teaches at uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Here's what he wrote. He says, even if we don't frequently see extraordinary miraculous events, God is active. 
He is active in the regular natural processes we see every day. He is miraculously calling people to himself as his church grows and expands. He is active in miraculous ways among people we don't know around the world. He's doing miracles because we may not see them in the way that they were seen in Jesus' day. Doesn't mean they're not happening. Do you know where the most miraculous events are happening? They're happening in other places in the world. I mean, there are some unbelievable prayers that are being answered among people that are in, in, these, in these places in the world where the, the gospel is having a hard time uh, being taught because of the legal issues that they face. People are hiding in basements to worship Jesus. I mean, people are hiding to worship together and read the scriptures and we have the scriptures and we have freedom to worship and we got half-filled churches and people who very rarely read the word of God. And, but miracles are happening. Jesus is working in places around the world that we would not even fathom. And I wanna just jump into John chapter two because time is running thin. So John chapter two, verse one is where we're gonna start. Now, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but how many of you have a destination in the world that's still on your bucket list? Anybody? All right, like I, I'm just, I want to go to the Holy Land. Anybody want to go to the Holy Land? I would love to go and walk where Jesus walked. I would love to go and experience all of those things. And I'm praying to God that COVID will completely clear up and one day we'll be able to put the church together as a trip and whoever wants to go, man, we'll load up and we'll go over there and we'll go see some stuff. There was an interesting story as I was studying this week about um, a, a church who took a trip over to the Holy Land. There was a woman that while she was there, they actually went and visited Cana, which is the miracle that we're gonna look at today. You guys remember when Jesus turned water into wine and said, whoever drinks this water will never thirst again. Y'all know that? It just went right over your head because y'all, I, I combined two stories that didn't even, they don't even go together. Like you're like, man, did Jesus really say that? I could drink all that and I never thirst. Of it. She's like, what? All right. So this woman, she goes to Cana and when she's there, she, she buys, um, she was with her church and this is, you know, like, you know, she, you shouldn't be drinking the wine. So she bought these two bottles of wine while she was in Cana because it's like, hey, this is the place where Jesus turned water to wine. Let me buy two bottles. Nobody's looking. I'll slip them in my suitcase, wrap them in my dirty clothes, and I'm gonna try to sneak these bad boys through TSA. Can you imagine rolling up, like what's going through your mind as you're like rolling your little luggage, like, okay, I wonder if they're gonna get these things through. Like, how's this gonna work out? And like your whole crew is with you, right? And so she, she gets up there and she puts her bag on the little thing and she shoves it through. Then she goes through the x-ray and she's waiting on the other side of, for her bag to come through. Well, right about, she's sitting there waiting and you, you know like her heart's gotta be doing this. Like, oh, please God, do not let them find these bottles. And all of a sudden, the security guard says, ma'am, we're gonna need to see you for a second. You've got some items in your luggage that we need, just need to take a look at. It appears to be two bottles. She was like, I mean, like in a moment of panic, she's really not wanting those people to open that bag up and show to the rest of her church that's with her and everybody else in the airport what she has. She says, sir, that, it's just bottles of water. He's like, well, ma'am, I'm sorry, but we are still going to have to open it up and confirm what's in there. So he unzips her luggage and in front of everybody, he holds the two bottles up and says, ma'am, these are not bottles of water. These are bottles of wine. And man, in an instant, she doesn't skip a beat. She says, praise Jesus, he did it again. He done turned water into wine, hallelujah. Revival broke out in the airport. 
in the real event of Jesus, in the real actual event of Jesus turning water into wine at that wedding, uh, we see the first of seven miracles recorded by John. And so here we are, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Read with me uh, through these first five verses. And on the third day, um, and if you're wondering what the third day was, it's just a day of succession. If you look back through John 1, it says this happened, then the next day, the next day, and now we're on the third day. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, he said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, um, when, um, when my oldest son, Will, was playing football for Irwin County, he was the quarterback. And one of the things that, that we did every Thursday night during football season, every Thursday night, we invited the offensive linemen and tight ends over. And we said, hey, listen, we want to feed you. Like, like we want to just take care of the guys who take care of our guy on Friday night. We, we want to take care of you, offensive linemen, because we know that like, every, like offensive linemen never get called out or pointed to unless they've done something wrong. And so it's like, look, we just want to love on you. We want to give you some food and feed y'all. And it was a great time for the boys to hang out and I don't know about you but whenever I think about feeding number one teenagers you better have a lot of food but especially when those teenagers are offensive linemen you better have a whole lot of food and one of my biggest fears was always please let, let's make sure that we cook enough so that we, we just don't want to run out I don't want a kid going home hungry and so um, my wife uh, she would always kind of gather the groceries she would cook them she would put it together and we would always 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 have more than enough are y'all the same way like if you're gonna have company over I want to have more than enough I don't want to run out of food I mean could you imagine like it would be so embarrassing to have company over and go ah I don't think we have enough I'm sorry like we didn't prepare for you well at this wedding at this wedding we see this whole thing play out and here's what's interesting. We see that in verse, um, so in verse two, verse three, in verse three, it says, when the wine ran out, when the wine ran out. Now, I'll, I need to give us some historical context. Let me read you some history from, uh, as recorded by a man named J.D. Derrett. And here's what he said about these kind of gatherings in biblical times. He says, in, in biblical times, a wedding was not only the celebration of a marriage, it was also a display of honor and hospitality afforded by the host. Culturally, he said it was a mammoth faux pas to run out of wine. The master of the ceremonies would not only be publicly humiliated for this, but he would even, he could even be legally punished. Could you imagine like being the master of the ceremonies and you, could you imagine being the family? I don't know, how many of you watching this TV series called Chosen? Anybody in here? Okay, yeah, pretty, it, it plays this whole thing out. It's a pretty remarkable scene. Could you imagine like this is you, right? Like it's number one, it's, it's, it's absolutely horrible thing to run out of wine at a wedding party like this. Number two, you, you could actually be punished for running out of wine. And could you imagine the anxiety that's building up as you, whether you're the master of ceremonies or you're the host of the party or whether you're the, the, I don't know if the wedding couple even knew, but could you imagine that feeling that you would have as the, the wine began to run out? Like, I, 
I don't know about you, but um, there's, there's a couple times in, in my life, it, there's a couple images that, that come to mind as I think about the anxiety and the tension of this. How many of you remember or have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand real high if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Some of you need to watch It's a Wonderful Life this Christmas. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's so good. You guys remember the scene when George Bailey's in the bank and they're waiting. They're like, okay, countdown's coming and the money's running lower and lower and lower and he's just hoping he's got to be able to make it to the end of the day without running out of money. So there's that. The other time in my life that I've experienced is you guys ever been riding down the road um, I, we had a vehicle years ago uh, it was a minivan which should have been your first hint that something was going to be wrong but we had a minivan if you have a minivan you guys understand uh, it's like a it's like a playhouse for kids on wheels you know and anything goes I had some buddies of mine in our van we were coming back from South Carolina we had driven up to Columbia to watch a, a Florida South Carolina game and on the way back I don't I don't know why but um the light would come on on the dash to tell you when you're low on gas, but there would never be like a ding, you know, like or some kind of alert. And I, I don't know why I hadn't paid attention to the gas gauge, but I'm just riding along. We're riding right down 95, and all of a sudden, I just sort of, whatever reason, I look down, and the light's already on, and it's not just on, but the needle is like below E. I have no idea how long we've been running. And I look up, and there is not an exit in sight. Y'all ever been there? Y'all ever been in that place where you're like, oh my goodness, like my gas, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. And I don't see a gas. He's like, Lord, would you please just let me see one of them? I'll pay, I'll pay $20 a gallon right now, God, if you would just show me a gas station. And, and we're rolling along, and I was so worried. I was going to be so embarrassed if I ran out of gas with all those guys in it, because what are you going to do? I'm like, all right, fellas, hop out and push. I mean, so I was nervous, and I'm just watching this thing, and they're, they're carrying on all these conversations. I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm just watching the gauge. And I'm looking on the horizon to see if I can see that finally the miracle happened. I was, ah, you know, there's the gas, here's the gas exit. We got off and we got gas and we made it and they never knew any different. But Jesus' mother, Mary, finds this problem. She, so there's this whole thing. The wine is running down. Everything, like everything's about to get really, really awkward and embarrassing. And it says that Jesus' mother, Mary, was there. And it says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. It had run out. At which point, I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant before and your glass hits empty and you're sitting there and you're sitting there. Not that we've experienced that. And you're sitting there and you're like, hey, um, somebody gonna come by and fill this thing? Like, you know when you're out. And every one of the guests at the party would have known, hey, we're out of wine. So Mary steps in and she says, "Um, Jesus, we're out of wine. Could you do something about it? And here's what's interesting. It says that she finds him and asks him to fix the problem. And look at his response. Does anybody else find his response kind of peculiar? Like he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come, guys. Just try that at home next time that you're watching the game. And your wife comes in and says, babe, I need you to go cut that grass. Or babe, I need you to run up to the store. Just try it. Woman, my hour has not yet come. (laughs) You will quickly realize Jesus is the only one that can say that and get away with it. I don't know about you, but I desire, I just desire to be used by God. I think it's a desire, I hope it's a desire, should be a desire of every follower of Jesus Christ, that 
that we would desire to be used by him to make much of the Father. What's interesting is we look at the guest list and we see who's there. So let's just kind of go through in our minds who's there. Mary's there. Certainly Jesus is going to use her to carry out the miracle. I mean, come on, mom, let's step up. People are going, let's get you to be the miracle woman. But it wasn't Mary. Well, who else is there? Jesus' 12 disciples are there. It's like Jesus could have said, hey, which one of you wants to have your name in the text? Which one of y'all wants to be the one? He could have used any of the disciples, but he did not choose any of the disciples to be the one that he would carry out the miracle through. What about, let's see, who else was there? Master of ceremonies was there. Hey, you know what? Maybe he's the one who didn't order enough wine. I don't know why it didn't happen, why they didn't have enough, but hey, let's, let's bring redemption to him. Let's let him be the hero. Let's let them, matter of fact, let's let him just not be the hero. Let's, let's cover that up, right? Let's let no one ever know about it, kind of like my whole gas situation. Well, what about the wedding couple? Like, hey, this would be awesome. Bride and groom, y'all come here. We're gonna let you guys be the one to bring about the miracle of providing wine to the rest of the party. But he doesn't use any of those people. Who does he use? See, sometimes being used by God is seeing a need and saying, as Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Like, I, I see the issue. I know it's there. Here I am, Lord, send me. And then there's other times in our life where we don't even know we're being used by God. And then we look back in retrospect and we see God was using me there. Like, I had, I had, no, I had no idea. And see, we tend to think that there's only certain people that God uses to perform the miraculous. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we go, God would never use me to do anything like that. God's never going to use me to reach people. God's never going to use me to get to see a family who's broken come to faith in Christ and then find their hope in Jesus. And not only find their hope in Jesus, but find a family in the church. Like God, God would never use me to do that. We, we just think that there are only certain people that God uses to do the miraculous, but God does not look at the things that people look at. I mean, you don't have to be in a place of prominence or a high position in order for God to position you perfectly into a place where you can make a difference and perform a miracle or allow God to perform a miracle through you in somebody else's life. I mean, what did he say in 1 Samuel 16, 7? It says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. How's your heart this morning? Does God look at your heart and go, there is a heart that's usable by me in order to change the world? Or do you find yourself, like I find myself a lot of times, there's a lot of bitterness and hurt and anger and things in here that God looks at me and says, hey, you know what? Right now, you may not be usable. See, I wanna put myself and I'm praying, God created me a clean heart just like David prayed. God created me a clean heart because I want my heart to be clean so that I can be usable by you. I don't wanna be put on the shelf and I don't wanna be put on the sideline because there's something wrong in my heart. So God, if there is any wicked way within me, show me so that my heart may be cleansed and be healed. See, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And what was probably a surprise to some at the wedding, Jesus uses who? He uses, as we're going to see here in a second, servants. He didn't use the greatest, most qualified or prestigious people. He used the ones, they were not there as guests. 
saying, come fill my wine up. Where, where is that waiter? Where is that guy who's supposed to be filling my wine up? Not them. He used the servants, the ones who showed up to this event with a heart that says, I'm ready to serve. What am I doing? And see, we would, take, we would be wise to take a page out of their book. See, we want to be used to see miracles happen. Then maybe what it begins with is us going, God, I'm just here to serve. Whatever it is you need me to do, just let me serve. When it came to perform his miracle, Jesus turned to the people who showed up ready to serve. Do you find yourself today with a heart and a mindset that's ready to serve? Miracles are God meeting needs in unexpected ways. If you are willing to serve, you are right where you need to be for God to do a miracle. And, and it's only going to happen if we're willing to do as Mary told the servants. I love this line from Mary. If in your Bible, highlight it, circle it, make it big. If you're on your phone, highlight it, make it big, write it down somewhere. Listen to what Mary tells the servants in verse 5. She says, do whatever he tells you. Can we say that together? Do whatever he tells you. Let's say it again. Do whatever he tells you. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that God has told me to do and I did not do whatever he told me because I thought I was smarter. I, God, I, that don't make sense. I'm not doing that. God, that just, it makes no sense whatsoever. We're out of wine and you want me to do what? Let's look at what happens. Let's look at verse six. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Can you imagine what must have been going through the servants' mind? Like, <clears throat> Jesus, listen, I know you're a phenomenal teacher, and you probably got it all together, but we're out of wine, and you want me to go to the well and fill these, these Jewish jars, these Jewish ritual cleansing jars. In other words, these jars were used when people would come into the house, you would use them to clean your hands, clean your body before you entered into specific places. That's what these were, okay? And so they're going, you want us to, right, we're out of wine and you want me to go to the well and fill these up with water? What they're gonna be asking for is wine, not water. We are short on wine and he wants to fill purification jars I mean, I don't know, but sometimes I find myself questioning God and what he's telling me to do. Here is yet another important fact. I love what it says in verse 7. It says, and they filled them up to the brim. They filled them up to the brim. Have you ever asked somebody to do something for you? And they fill it up halfway, or they do the job halfway. Probably your kids. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, can I get an amen right there? <laughs> Jesus says, fill up the jars. Now, in, in our heads, we're thinking, oh, well, man, just grab the jar, run it under the... They didn't have spigots. They had to go to the well and bucket by bucket carry it back to fill up the jars. And they didn't just fill it up. They didn't fill it up halfway. They didn't fill it up three quarters of the way. They filled it to the brim so that water was literally trickling over the edges. <coughs> Excuse me. 
There have been times in my life when I knew Jesus was telling me to do something, but I did it halfway and did not realize the significance of it. If the servants would have not filled them up to the brim, I wonder what would have happened. I wonder if they would have only come and filled them halfway and said, ah, it looks good enough. That's, you know, that's how we did it as teenagers. I remember years ago, and my, she already knows about this, so y'all don't have to like email my mom or email my aunt. But my aunt ran, ran a Domino's Pizza. She owned a Domino's Pizza out in Tucson, Arizona. When I was in high school, went out there for a summer, spent some time with my cousins. And they were like, hey, y'all want to get paid? Now it's 115. Like, hey, y'all want to get paid? Yeah, money, sure. We can go to the mall, we can do some stuff. What do we need to do? So it was me and my two cousins and I think one of their friends said, hey, we need you to take these um, door hanger coupons for Domino's Pizza and we want you to just go through all the neighborhoods in Tucson and we want you to go hang them on every door. It's like, do you, do you know how many people live in Tucson, Arizona? Do you know how many houses are here? But yeah, hey, sounds like a great plan. So we started out early in the morning because it gets hot really fast. We started going door to door, hanging them things on the door. About 11 o'clock, it's already peaking over 100 degrees and it's getting really hot. It's like, okay, look, we, we got them. We took a break, which is the worst thing you could do. We took a break, we ate lunch. And then after lunch, you know how it is after lunch. It's like, I don't want to do anything now. So um, one of my cousins had this brilliant idea. Hey, let's just go behind the grocery store, throw them all in the dumpster and say we hung them all. And then we get to go home and we get paid. That's a great idea. Let's do it. So we threw them in the dumpster. We went home. And then when uh, my aunt and uncle got home, they said, hey, did you hang all those door hangers? Like, yeah, we got them. They're all gone. Really? Yeah. Well, so-and-so called from the grocery store and said they saw a bunch of kids dumping some stuff in the dumpster and here they are. Busted, right? That's what happens when you do stuff halfway. And, and Jesus is going, look, he looks at these servants and he says, look, I know you don't understand this, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to fill these things up. And they did. They filled them up to the brim. Let's be completely, let me say this. Let's be completely obedient to what Jesus has called us to do so that we can see what he wants us to see and so that others can receive what Jesus wants them to receive. Let's, let's be completely obedient to what Jesus has called us to do so that we can, we, can, we can see what Jesus wants us to see and so that others can receive what Jesus needs them to receive through us. Be completely obedient. Verses eight and nine. We'll wrap up. Let's go. And he said to them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water um, new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, bucket by bucket, the servants filled these six, let's just say go in between and say 25 gallon jars. And this was tedious. This was a tedious task. And this was going to be time-consuming, and it was going to take complete obedience. Fill it all the way up. And the servants followed Jesus' directions. They did. They followed him to a T. They filled him all the way up. Water's coming over the top. They did as Jesus said precisely. And now here's what Jesus said. He says, now come. Now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. Can you imagine? What are you thinking? 
Like literally, I mean, I know we read this stuff and we know what's gonna happen, but imagine if you didn't know what's gonna happen and Jesus said, okay, you brought the water from the well to the jars. You filled them up. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the water I want you to get out of here, draw from the the jars, and I want you to take this to the master of the ceremonies. What are you thinking? Like, Jesus, like, you could have saved us a trip. We could have just got it from the well and took it straight to him. Why are we having to pour it into this thing, and then we're taking it out of this thing and walking it to him? Just, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. And here's another question. When did the water turn to wine? Did it turn to wine? Because we know it wasn't wine in the well because if that was the case, everybody had been at that well. When did it turn to wine? Did it turn to wine when they took it from the well to the jars? Did it turn to wine in the jar after they had poured it and filled it up? Did it turn to wine um, when, when they were taking it, after they took it out and put it in the cup to take it to the master of the ceremony? Did it turn to wine then? Or did it, tu- did it turn to wine as they were walking? Could you imagine looking at your cup and going, this is just water. And then as you walk, we don't know where it turned, we don't know when and where it turned to wine, but the, I don't think that's really the point. The point is, what I do know is that Jesus performed the miracle through obedient servants. I don't understand why you want me to go fill these things up with water. I don't understand why you want me to take this cup of water to the master's summer. I don't know what's going to happen. And then, in a moment, the master of the ceremonies receives it. And look in verse 10. It said, um, and said to him, so he said to the servant who took him the water, said to him, everyone serves, or he brings over the bridegroom, and he said to him, everyone who serves the good wine first And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, he says, have kept the best wine for now. You have saved the best for last. You've done done what no one else does. You have saved the best for last. And then look in verse 11 and we'll wrap up. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. Perhaps you wish you had faith to believe that Jesus could turn something ordinary into something extraordinary. Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to just serve him where we know he has already commanded us to serve are you willing to serve and be used even if the path is unclear? See, that, that's for Jesus, you show me exactly what this is going to look like and how it's going to play out, and then maybe I'll consider doing it. That's not what the servants did. The servants just said, none of this makes sense, but because you said so, they showed up, they showed up with a servant's heart and they began to serve. And when God asks you to do something that doesn't seem practical, remember that his perspective is bigger than your perspective. We have to be willing to say, God, I trust you. If you're calling me to it, you're going to see me through it. And God, I just, like, to have a heart to go, I want to know what's on the other side of this because it's got to be something amazing. See, victory for us over complacency is going to begin simply by having a heart to serve Jesus. A willing heart opens doors of opportunity to witness Christ doing something in the world that he w- we would otherwise miss. The problem is, is 
we see ourselves as king. That's our problem. We have a king complex that we are king and God, he is our servant. We say, oh, I wouldn't, we would never say that. Like, I don't, I don't believe, like, I would never believe that. I would never say that God is my servant, really. What do you pray about? I mean, isn't our prayer life more of a, hey, God, here's a list of things that I need you to do? When we pray, most of what we take to the door of heaven are errands that for God to improve our kingdom, not for us to be willing to improve his or further his. There'll be times in life when you're gonna feel that you're carrying the weight, that the weight you're carrying is terribly inadequate. You're gonna, there's gonna be times when faith becomes real as you trust God to make much of him. There's gonna be times when he's gonna ask you to do something that's not gonna make sense or it makes perfect sense, but sometimes we just don't walk in with a servant's heart. miracles if we want to see God start doing the miraculous it's going, to, it's going to be about us showing up with a heart to serve and then trusting God no matter how ridiculous it may seem no matter how much we don't think it's going to work God whatever you call us to what's God calling you to do where's your heart today you have a heart to serve or is your heart sort of indifferent to the things of God it's really easy for us to get hard-hearted towards the things that God wants us to do. I mean, we say things all the time, like somebody else will step up and they'll do it. But God didn't call somebody else. What's God calling you to do? He's called every single one of us to serve him in some capacity. It's true. If you can read the New Testament and find something else, I'll be glad to change my stance on it. What's God called you to do? And we will never impact this community nor the world the way God needs us to. And listen, I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm standing up here going, hey, Billy Stevens has got some things that God's been dealing with him on for the last couple weeks. My heart's been heavy. But I have to be willing to be obedient to whatever it is that God's called me to do. Would you bow with me and let's pray.